Uh, I'm going to get right into it tonight, and then uh, hopefully by the end of this we can uh, come to you and we can, I know there are several needs that we need to hold up in, in prayer. Uh, we've been going through the book of Hebrews last week, uh, or a couple weeks ago. Last week was VBS, the week before that I was gone. And uh, so two weeks ago we did Hebrews chapter 7, and uh, but we're going to be going into Hebrews chapter 8. You know how we do this, we go through a chapter, we go line by line. And uh, teach on that. Um, it's called uh, expository teaching, which is uh, different than on Sunday morning. It would be more topical where we can do this. But expository, it's, it's, you just kind of follow it line for line. And so Hebrews chapter 8, everyone smile at me. All right. And, uh, and if you need a subheading here for this, it's this right here. Uh, Jesus, the high priest of a better covenant. How many know that Jesus is the is our high priest? Amen. How many know that the new covenant is better than the old covenant? Amen. And uh, well, hopefully we'll get into that, and I can I can uh, show you that uh, through Scripture. So I, I like this because this um, be, this is almost perfect because chapter eight starts off uh, with basically, hey, uh, now the point. In, in what we are saying is this. And so what he's saying here, since you haven't been here for a couple of weeks, all right, or I haven't, you know, been here for a couple of weeks, we haven't went over this. He's saying, I'm going to sum up the last seven chapters in chapter eight. How many need, sometimes need something summed up for you? You know, and I don't know about you, but I, I need it put in, uh, you know, smaller terms, younger terms. Give it to me like a five-year-old so I can understand it. How many know what I'm talking about, all right? And, and so he, he goes back and he says, hey, now this is the point of all that I've been saying as the writer of, of this book. And so, and so it's a summary of this. And, and it's a, it, to me, this is a telltale sign that the writer of this book was probably a preacher because you know what a preacher does. They always sum it back up for you, all right? And so it says this, we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of, the ma- of majesty in heaven. Now, we talked about that, Jesus being uh, the one who sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding. There is something significant about being at the right hand, okay? And so uh, what Jesus did at Calvary, he opened the way for you and me to fellowship with the Father, regardless um, if you do your devotion or you forget your daily devotion or if you forget to, to pray or you made it to church last week or uh, you didn't raise your hands in worship, it's not based on works, but it's based on what Jesus did on the cross for us. How many are, how many are, I, amen to that, amen? So uh, those things are, are, are not the issue. They are beneficial to my walk. It's important that I, I do my devotions. It's important that I pray. It's important that I go to church. Those, those help my walk, but they do not save me, amen? And so yeah, it's based on Jesus and the work of the high priest, Jesus. And so we talked about that in in chapter 7. And the whole point of Hebrews is this book is written to the Hebrews because these Hebrew Christians were trying to slide back into the old system. And this writer is telling them and he's giving them warnings, hey, don't do that because Jesus is a high priest. And so uh, if, you, if you're in need, um, you know, it, it tells us this, that we can come boldly before the Father, right? Um, no longer do we have to go through this process. I'm going to talk about that. Chapter 9 talks about that. No, no longer do we have to go through this long process to get to the Father, but we can come boldly and say, hey, I have a problem. Regardless if I did my devotion, regardless if I showed up to church, guess what? I can come boldly and say, Lord, I need your help. Amen? That's why we get scriptures that say, uh, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so the Lord, he hears us. Amen? So, um, and here's the thing, nothing can be added to this and nothing should be taken away from what Jesus did on the cross. It is what? Finished. It's done. It's over. It's complete. Number two, a minister in the holy places in the true uh, tent that the Lord set up, not man. Who set it up? The Lord. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for the priests also to have something to offer. Verse 4. Now, if he were on, uh, on uh, earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according 
to the law. So in other words, Jesus was a high priest better than than the Levitical priests. And so uh, a good Jewish person would say, hey, and I talked about this last week in chapter 7. And talking about the, the, the Jews would say, hey, Jesus couldn't be a high priest because he was from the tribe of what? And to be a priest, you had to be from what tribe? You had to be a Levite. And, and you know what made you a Levite? Your genes. Now, I'm not talking about your 501s. I'm talking about your, your genes from your family. That's what made you a, a, a Levite. And, and so uh, that was the only protocol is you just had to be born from the right person. But, but in chapter 7, it talks about Melchizedek, the order of Melchizedek, a superior priesthood. That goes beyond it. And the writer of Hebrews, he goes back and he says, hey, listen, before this system, the old covenant or the, the Levite system or the priestly system, there was something on. Hey, you guys remember Father Abraham? And all the Jews go, yeah, that, 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 we know Father Abraham. You know, we know that we came from his bosom. We understand that that's, and he says, before that, Abraham was walking along the road, and then here comes this, this man named Melchizedek called a king and a priest right then and there. And, and the scripture tells us that Abraham knelt down, and he worshiped him, and he gave him gifts. And matter of fact, here's something else interesting, and I talked a little bit about this last time, and you can go back and listen to this. Um, I believe that this is a picture of Christ in the Old Testament because it's interesting. Why would a friend of God kneel down and worship any man? And I believe that he is seeing, and, and the gifts that Melchizedek actually brought when, he, when they were together was this. He brought him bread, and he brought him wine, which are what? That's what we use in communion, right? So it's a beautiful picture here. Look at this. Verse 5 says this. So they serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things, talking about the Levitical priest. For when Moses was about, uh, about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to this pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. You know, when they decided to build this church, I was not here in 2005, when they decided to build this church but somebody drew up the plans for this church, right? And somebody took the time to make sure that it was built. And, and so same thing, the Lord is coming to Moses. He's saying, hey, here is the plans, and these are the specifications that I want, and I want them precisely the way that I want them. How many like things the way that you want them? Right? How many when you go to a restaurant and you don't bring you the right food, you, you, you're like, hey, this is not how I, what I ordered. My son, Wyatt, he is one of those people that if they brought him the wrong plate, he would just eat it because he doesn't want to have to tell them that that's what he didn't want, you know, or whatever. But, but the Lord gave Moses these precise instructions. And the pattern of the earthly, earthly tabernacle is a shadow of the true tabernacle which is in heaven. And this is, this is interesting. Verse 6 says this, But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he uh, mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. Verse 7, For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. Now think about this. I was thinking about this. Um, when I was preparing this, when a team wins a Super Bowl or when a team wins the World Series or when a team wins a championship of some sort, right, very seldom, very seldom do you see the management of that team or the owner of that team come in and start firing people after they've, they've won something, right? You know what the manager of that team does or the, the owner of that team? He works diligently to try to keep what he has together. Hey, we've got the secret recipe here to win, and we're going to try to win again. And it's interesting. So um, the writer of Hebrews is saying this. So if the old covenant, the law, was, was a winner, then there would be no need for a second covenant, right? There wouldn't, there's no need for it. And the Old Testament speaks of the new covenant. So we can only conclude that the first one was not sufficient. And we talked about this. The old one was, was made so that it was like a schoolmaster is what Paul says. The Old Testament and, and the old law, the Ten Commandments, they point to us and say, hey, you are flawed as a person, right? Uh, there isn't anyone in here. All right, if I was to ask this, you to everyone in here would have to raise your hand, so I'm not going to make you raise your hand, have committed 
have sinned in one way or another, one of the Ten Commandments, everybody in here has to go. And if you don't raise your hand, you just committed one of them. So go ahead and raise your hand, right? Because you've lied and we've done things. Say, I've never, I've never, I've never been an adulterer. But have you thought about something? Have you committed adultery in your heart is what Jesus says. Well, I've never murdered anyone. But have you ever slandered somebody with your words or in, in assassinated their, their character, right? And so the Bible tells us that if we've failed at one of those, we've failed at all of them. And so there's, we can't reach perfection, right? We're all flawed. Everyone look at your neighbor and say, you're flawed. All right, you're flawed. Look at this. Verse 8. For he finds fault with them when he says. So this is interesting because this is the beginning of prophecy of Jeremiah, chapter 31. And it's repeated in Ezekiel, chapter 36, the prophecy of the new covenant in the Old Testament. It's, hey, this is telling us, hey, there's something better coming, right? Right? There's something better coming. And so it's letting us so and, and Jesus would come. And what does Jesus do? He fulfills these promises in the Old Testament. It says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Verse 9, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. I love that imagery. God took the children of Israel by the hand and said, come on, let's come out of Egypt. I'm bringing you into freedom. That, that is a beautiful imagery. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. So, um, the old covenant said this, it said, uh, uh, do this and you'll live, follow these rules and you'll live. That, that's it. Deuteronomy. You can look it up. Deuteronomy, uh, chapter four, verse one. And, and by implication or presupposition is that if you don't do this, you will die, right? Follow these rules and live. Don't follow these rules. You will die spiritually. And the Old Covenant, the Old Testament was based upon your success of obedience, the keeping of rules, and the keeping of regulations. How many in here can say, in all your life, you followed every rule and every regulation, and you've never broken anything? Not a one of us, right? If you've went one mile over the speed limit on 37, and I know many of you go more than one mile over the speed limit, myself included, at times, I know Drew's back there. Don't listen, Drew, right now. Um, but, but you know, we, we, we mess up. We, we make mistakes. That, that is our obedience. We try to be obedient. Anybody ever failed your parents growing up? You felt really bad about it? You're like, man, I, I, I just disobeyed my mom and dad, and I, I don't like doing that. Maybe you did like doing that. I don't know. Uh, but, but the Old Testament was the keeping of rules and regulations, and therein lies the issue. The house of Israel, the nation of Israel, they weren't capable of following these rules. They tried. They did their best, right? But they failed miserably. Again, Paul said it, you know, uh, he said it in in Galatians chapter 2 that that the law was a schoolmaster. How many had a mean teacher growing up? How many had a teacher that, that... I had a teacher my junior year, my English teacher. I could call her by name. I'm not, I won't do that. But... Uh, I just think she hated me. I'm going to be honest with you because, uh, you know, uh, every day she would just, she was just, she didn't, maybe I was a punk. I don't know if I was or wasn't. I, I thought I was a pretty good kid. I don't know. But but she was just mean and, and just was like, hey, you know, and like someone would be talking. She'd be like, stop talking, Skiles. And I was like, I didn't say a word. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like I was the, I was the scapegoat there. So, um, you know, <laughs> I had a college professor once, and he was he was teaching um, math and algebra class, and I'll never forget. How many know that if you're taking an algebra class, you need a teacher that is understanding that will help you walk through what you're what you're learning, right? This guy was the worst guy. I'll never forget being in his class, and I, everyone was there, and he's just going down. You know how they do. And he's just spouting off all this stuff, and we're just, I'm trying to follow along as best as I can. And this kid, this poor kid, he goes, does anybody have any questions? 
this poor kid raises his hand. He goes, I have a question on this step right here. And I'll never forget this professor. I mean, it blew me away. I'd never met anybody like this. He goes, what are you, stupid? And like, and just said, you know, you got to do this, 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 this. And I thought, what in the world? We're here to learn. Help us, you know. And, and so, you know, the law says, hey, you've made these mistakes. You've messed up. Verse 10 says this. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their what? Where at? I'll put them here and I'll write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they will be my what? People. Jeremiah 31 is important to us as believers. And that is where God declares Rather than writing his will on tablets that we can look at and follow, he starts to write his will on our mind and our hearts. And it's not on, on, on tablets of stone uh, in the old covenant, but the new covenant is on our hearts. It's, it's no longer an external thing. Uh, his, his will would be internal within us. In other words, God's grace would put into us everything God wants for us. Amen? How many are thankful for God's grace? Right? I I am. I don't know about you. I I love God's grace. Oh, man. It's it's interesting to me. Um, Anybody have a gym membership in here? All right. All right. Just me. Uh, One thing about about gyms, that I've learned going to the gym. Oh, you got one. Uh, one thing I've learned about going to the gym is this time of the year, there are people that are not at the gym that were there in January. How many know what I'm talking about? Uh, always January 1, there's a new rush of people that show up to the gym out of, out of nowhere. It's interesting, right? And then come June, come July, I have not seen those people, right? Matter of fact, sometimes I see them come in and be like, I need to cancel my membership because I'm just paying for this thing, right? Um, and and it's, it's interesting. A lot of people have good intentions, right, with their resolutions and, and things. And I, I want to do good, but sometimes we just drop the ball, right? So, too, when we, uh, you can read scripture and say, hey, I, I, I want to do that, Lord. I want to follow. The, I, I want to do my best to do this. But there sometimes are good intentions. We, we just drop the ball. It's just, it's just it's our nature. And our flesh gets the best of us, right? So God says, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a new thing. I'm going to write my will on your heart. I'm going to guide your thoughts with my Holy Spirit. It's what we talked about Sunday. I want to guide your thoughts. I want to empower you. I want to help you overcome things. I want to help you overcome the, the grip of sin on your life. I'm going to put my spirit inside of them. The spirit of truth will lead you to what? All truth. It's a beautiful thing. Verse 11 says this, and they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, know the Lord, for they shall know me from the least of them to the greatest. So, it's important for us to understand it's not uh, that you need to understand that it's not my job to tell you what you're doing wrong. Well, you're the pastor, right? And some people think that my job is to go around and tell you, hey, uh, Dustin, man, you got to be better. Man, you can't be doing this. Mike, man, you, you just need to be better or, or, or whatever the case. Mark Lynn, slow down on Highway 37. You're going to kill somebody out there. You know, it, it's not my job to point out everybody's flaws, right? And I'm not supposed to be going around saying, well, you know, how come, how come you're doing this and how come you're not serving? Why? Because here's what I know. The, the scripture tells us that God writes his will on your heart. And you know already without me even saying a word. It's interesting to me as a pastor, especially when people find out I'm a pastor. Because sometimes I don't tell people I'm a pastor up front. And it's interesting to me. I've been around people who were just, you know, I met them for the first time. And they're just cussing up a storm, right? And telling all this stuff. And they're like, hey, what do you do for a living? I'm a pastor. Oh, as if that really mattered, right? Sorry, I, I didn't know, you know, you know. Um, but you know in your heart that that isn't right. 
And, 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 you know, here's what I do. I, I, I'm not here to point out your flaws, but I, I want to encourage you to attend church. I want to encourage you to serve. I, I want to encourage you to do what's right. But, but it's not my job to condemn you or belittle you. The Holy Spirit does that within you. And, you know, I, I said it a couple weeks ago, I believe, uh, from the pulpit. You know, I've had people say, well, you stepped on my toes today. No, I didn't. The Holy Spirit did. He just used me in a way that, that, that just spoke to you. Sometimes God will use the simpleton. He'll use the simple to confound the wise, right, sometimes. And so, um, you know, here's what I know. We don't need more rules and regulations from people because uh, the Lord, he, he lives in our hearts. He'll guide us into all truth. It's what, it's what uh, uh, John tells us. When, when you're walking in the new covenant, the Lord, the Holy Spirit will whisper to your heart, speak to you and guide you he will lead you if you will let him it's not simple you've heard this from me the last few weeks and it's just in my heart but listen if you want to go to the next level in the lord if you're sick of being stagnant in the same place guess what just just start listening for the voice of god and let him speak to you you know the holy spirit will tell you this when you're in walmart go over there and talk to that person Lord, I don't like to talk to anybody at Walmart, right? I just want to mind my own business. I want to get in here, get my green beans, and get out of here. Green beans and a gallon of milk. And the Lord says, no, 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 no. See that person over there? You need to go say hey to them. Lord, I don't want to do that. You know, I talked a little bit about this on, on Sunday. We, we have all this fear and, and, and anxiety when the Holy Spirit asks us to do something. And um, maybe the Lord tells you this. Hey, I want you to go on a missions trip. Oh, Lord, I, I don't, that's not me. I don't want to do that. I don't, I don't want to go somewhere where I have to sleep in a place and they don't have toilet seats and, and running water. That, I don't want to have to do that. God says, go, I, I want to I teach you to love people like I love people. I want to show you something. Or the Lord tells you this, make them cookies. If the Lord's speaking that, that's for me right there. Make that, make that person cookies. Give them to them. Or write them a card and tell them, hey, I appreciate you. I love you. I was thinking about you today. Or pick up that phone and say, hey, I just want to tell you I love you. I hope you're doing all right. I want to encourage you today. Philippians 2.13 says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So um, all you have to do is this, is to be obedient to the spirit of God. And here's what I know. The Spirit of God always lines up with the Word of God. It's just confirmation, right? Yeah, He'll write His will on our hearts. And listen, if you have something that you're like, man, I'm just not sure, this Word will confirm that in you. And if it is not in line with this Word, hey, second guess what, what you're feeling in your heart. And so uh, it, it's the new covenant, Spirit-led, like what God wants for us. You know, I think sometimes we don't like that word Spirit-led. We want to be, uh, you know, uh, we're scared of that. Why? Because it's the unknown. It's fully trusting God in, in, in every capacity of your life. Like, Lord, if I go up and say, tell this person what you want me to tell them, what if they punch me in the nose? I'm going to trust you, Lord. I'm just going to just depend that you're going to protect me somehow, some way, right? And, and what happens is when we do that is by his grace, he will work within us. And I believe the most radical group of Christians in history you know, if I had to, to pick a group, I'd argue it was the first century church, the, very, the early church. You know why? I'll give you some examples right here. I'll, I'll tell you. They sold all their possessions and gave it all to the, to the work of God, and they went and, and evangelized across the world, giving up everything, saying, God, we fully trust you. How many know that's radical? In America, we can't even comprehend that right now, Right? Like, I'm not selling my house. I'm not selling my boat. I'm not selling one of my three cars, right? Come on, somebody, right? Um, but you know, you know what they didn't do? They didn't, they didn't get together and they didn't study the book, book of Hebrews like we're doing right now. Why? It wasn't written. It wasn't written. And, and, and they didn't argue over the doctrine of Romans. You know why? Didn't have it. What about, what about this? They didn't argue over the teachings of Jesus according to John. Nope, wasn't written. You know what they did in the first century church? 
None, none of that had been written, but they understood the reality of the new covenant, that God had written it on their heart. And what's interesting about that, you're saying, hey, are you saying the Bible's not good, Pastor? No, no, it's not what I'm saying. The New Testament church, they followed the leading of the Lord on their heart. And then what happened was when the word of God came and they confirmed what the spirit of God had already been speaking to them. And they flipped the whole world upside down by being spirit led. The same God who had written the new covenant on their hearts was the same God who inspired Paul, who inspired James, who inspired John, John Mark, Luke, Matthew, right in this book i know there's more and and i'd say this today we've lost uh or, or many have lost and and don't understand the new covenant the holy spirit's role in our lives and 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 the new covenant is paramount we need it we need him we need him some churches study the bible and and are and are right in their theology but they're dead and they're not doing anything they're not spirit-led hey i i know doctrine i know that but there's nothing happening in their lives. And so I don't know about you, but I want to be a person and I want to be a church that's spirit-led, that, that the Holy Spirit leads and, and guides us into all truth, that the Holy Spirit will push us out of our comfort zone and make us love on people that maybe are a little bit, look a little bit different than us and, and maybe make us feel a little bit uncomfortable. Come on, right? So the New Testament was written to confirm that the Holy Spirit was speaking in their hearts. And that word confirms the voice of the Lord in our hearts. Amen. So look at this, verse 12. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Amen. And speaking of the new covenant, he makes the first, uh, uh, he makes the first one obsolete. So the first covenant, psh, obsolete, it's gone, right? And, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Uh, today, uh, we were here working at the church, me and Mike, and we were going, we have some older computers, and we were going through these computers, and I said, Mike, you know, uh, do you think of anything we can do with these computers? And he said, man, uh, he said, I, 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 I don't know. He said, there are a few things that we can do. And I said, well, they're, they're going to be obsolete. He said, they're already obsolete, TJ. And I said, you're right. You're 100% right. So it, it's 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 gone, but but, but what makes me want to pray in the morning? What, what makes me want to read the word? And what makes me want to be here on a Wednesday night? You want to know what it is? Two words. God's mercy. That's it. That, man, I, I was blown away. I don't know about you. I, I think about this. And I thought about this week. I am such a failure. And, I, you know, you say, oh, pastor, you're hard on you. No, no, no. You, you don't know. I have messed up so many times. You think you've messed up? I think I've messed up. And I can tell you that I only stand here by God's grace and God's mercy. I was thinking about this old, uh, uh, well, it's not too old, but an older uh, gospel song. And it, and it talks, it's called, If Not For Your Grace. And I'm going to read it to you. It says, where would I be if not for your grace, carrying me in every season? Where would I be if not for your grace? You came to my rescue, and I want to thank you. Uh, uh, for your grace that restores, your grace that redeems, your grace that releases me to worship, your grace that repairs visions and dreams, grace that releases miracles. How many are grateful for the grace and the mercy of God? Man, even though I fell, even though I fell, God's like, get up, Skiles, come on. You got this. He keeps blessing me. He keeps putting up with me. I don't know why. How many feel like the Lord just puts up with you, right? I don't know why he puts up with me, and he keeps allowing me to do what I'm doing despite my mistakes. That's God's mercy. That's God's grace. That's a beautiful thing. I get so excited when I, when I talk about that. And I look at my life, and I look at my family, and I look at this church, and I look at this nation, and I look at this world and say, God, you have been incredibly merciful to me how good you've been to me i when i don't pray like i could or like i should when i don't know as much as i could or or should or and i don't deserve you and the and the kind of faithfulness that that you're worthy of lord because i i've, I've failed you so many times but lord you just keep blessing me and blessing me and blessing me Show me your mercy and grace. You keep forgiving me. How many are grateful for God's forgiveness? 
right? And know, uh, and know my, my choices, Lord, you've, you've just been with me. You've guided me. So uh, I, I'm so grateful for God's mercy and grace. There isn't anybody in here that doesn't need God's grace and God's mercy on your life. And you're only here today because of God's grace and, and God's mercy. Some of you in here would probably be strung out on drugs had it not been for God's grace and God's mercy on your life. Some of you may not even be alive had it not been for God's grace and God's mercy. It's a beautiful thing. So uh, uh, chapter 9, and we'll go into this and get ready to put your th- thinking caps on because we're going we're gonna to go a little bit deep here in chapter 9. We're not going to get all the way through chapter 9. Everyone said, all right. Um, and but we're going to try our best. And and if you need a subheading here for this, it's the earthly uh, holy places. We're going to talk about this. Chapter nine, verse one says this. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship and the earthly place of holiness for a tent was prepared. We talked about that just in the last chapter. So the Lord instructed Moses to establish a place, right? He said it gave him very specific directions on how to do this. A place for the meeting between God and his people. And I'll give you, here you go, here's what it was. It was within, uh, it was 150 feet long, 75 feet wide, and that was the the courtyard, okay? The outer courts, or the outer courts. Everyone say outer courts. All right. And, and and I begin to think about this. So that was the first thing. And that was surrounded with, with, with linen, you know, around it. And the outer courts is interesting. But but I but I thought about that. 150 feet by 75 feet is not really a huge space when you think about it. I mean it's big, but it's not not big. And and, and think about this. So he's given Moses these instructions, and Moses is like, There's three million plus Israelites, how in the world are we all going to get into this 150 foot by 75 feet? Have you ever thought about that? No, I didn't think about that until I was studying this, and I thought, whoa, that is mind-blowing. Why? Why would it be so small, right? And But as I prayed about it, and I began to think about it, could it be that the Lord knew that at, in any one moment that not everybody would be there at the same time? And, and I say that to say this, how often, here we go, do we prioritize everything else in our lives except for that which is eternal? A lot. You know, I, um, I was saying, you know, on Monday night I was telling Mike Gotzey before church uh, and, and Larry was talking to them, we, we, our church softball team, man, we lost again. We haven't won one game. And, and you know, and oh man, we we played our hearts out. We we did the best that we could, and, and a few people were frustrated. And and in that moment, I felt like the Holy Spirit just spoke to me, you know, and just you know, and I just I grabbed a few people and I said, "Hey, these things right here are not eternal. God's not going to care when we get to heaven that we beat that church in softball in Bedford Church League softball." This is not an eternal thing. This is, this is real. We prioritize the wrong thing sometimes. I'm not saying you can't be competitive. Listen, I'm the most competitive person. You, you, you Listen, the Lord is working on me to get that out of me a little bit better. But, but you know, these things are, uh, here on this earth, are not eternal. And this made me think that all things, that, that, that a lot of things that we chase, they really don't matter. Right? A lot of things that we chase, they really don't matter. I mean, at the end of the day, right, the next Netflix series that we have to binge watch is not eternal. Hide down here, right? Or the next movie that comes out is not an eternal. Or the next game of golf that we have to play is not eternal. And and, and listen, when I when I read that, man, I just I I just felt just in my heart, even in my own heart, I was like, God, forgive me if I've made things that are not eternal a priority. God, help me to fix my eyes on you. So the outer courts, everyone say the outer courts. So we're going to learn about the tabernacle. And it's interesting, the tabernacle is, is very interesting to me because 
Um, there are prayers to pray through the tabernacle. We talk about the tabernacle a lot when we talk about worship going from the outer courts to the inner courts. And I'm going to allude to that just in a minute just to kind of give you a heads up. So some of you know this, but uh, the next verse or the next portion of that verse says this. The first section in which uh, uh, which where the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence, it is called the holy place. Everyone say the holy place. So we got the outer courts. A little bit further in, we got the holy place. And beyond the outer courts or the, or the courtyard, I'm not talking about the hotel, right? But beyond the courtyard was the, the sanctuary or, or tabernacle. It, 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 it looked just like the tents that the people used to, uh, you know, camp with there in the desert and in the wilderness. And it's covered with badger skin. It's interesting. But, uh, but this place was 45 feet long, 15 feet high, and 15 foot wide. And it was divided into two compartments. That's a lot of sheets, right, out in the middle of the desert. Pretty interesting. I, I begin to think about that. But the, the first compartment was, was 30 feet long and called the holy place. Everyone say, say it again. Say the holy place. In this holy place stood the table of showbread to the right, and upon which 12 loaves of bread set. One, uh, and, and, and to the left stood the golden candlestick comprised of seven oil lamps. Okay? So we got bread on one side, we got lamps on the other side. And, and straight ahead was the altar of incense wherein, where, uh, wherein incense would be offered to the Lord. And behind the altar of incense hung a massive veil. We talk about that veil being broken on when Jesus uh, resurrected. And, and, and this is part of that process. It was in the temple, not in the tabernacle. But just to give you an idea, but this, this veil was there. And it was, it was up, held up by uh, four massive golden columns that rested in silver sockets. If you think about it, it's probably a really pretty picture thing, you know, to look at. But it held this veil up. And so look at this. Verse 3 says this. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place or the holy of holies. Having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding uh, the manna and Aaron's staff uh, that budded and that the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing, uh, overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things, we cannot now uh, we cannot now speak in detail. So behind the veil was we, a couple of things in the Holy of Holies. The, the Ark of the Covenant was 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 there. That's the the front and center in in that Holy of Holies. And this room would have been about, for those of you who are keeping track, uh, twenty or two and a half cubits in length. All right, how many use cubits? All right, eleven or one and a half cubits breadth and uh, one and a half cubits height. Okay, I'll put it to you in better terms. Here you go. This will help you out. Uh, one hundred thirty-one centimeters by seventy-nine by seventy-nine centimeters. Did that help you guys out? I'll help you out a little further. Fifty-two inches by thirty-one inches by thirty-one inches, and the ark was made of uh, acacia wood. So it, it contained the Ten Commandments, and it, came, uh, it contained Aaron's rod and a, po- and a pod of manna. And covering the ark, okay, I, I should, probably should have get, given you guys a picture so you could look at this. Uh, covering the ark was the lid called the mercy seat. How many have ever heard? People talk about the mercy seat. I mean, it's a beautiful, beautiful picture of God's mercy and grace uh, uh, above. And on the mercy seat, there were two golden angels, and, and the two wings met, okay? So on the top, they met, and they were, they were uh, looking, and their eyes looked down at the mercy seat. So verse 6 says, the, says this, These preparations, having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties. So as he prepares for ministry, this young Levite goes in the courtyard and he would see his father uh, offering sacrifices. And finally, you know, a time would come and he would be allowed to minister himself. And he goes into the holy place a little bit further into the tabernacle, a little bit deeper, where every morning and evening, um, you know, uh, this young Levite would would trim the wicks on the oil lamps, or uh, or refill the 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 bread on the sh- on the showbread table. So verse seven says this. Now, now get ready to buckle up because we're going somewhere right here. But into the second only a high priest goes, and he but once a year. So 
All right, give you a little detail for those of you who don't know. I mean, we're going to go into some some deep things here. This is going to be more teaching than preaching, okay? Um, in in Jesus' day, uh, this is what would tr- transpire. So uh, we're talking um, here in uh, Hebrews, we're talking about the tabernacle. But in Jesus' day, the temple was, was built. And so it was the same process, just the temple was built. So it wasn't like a tent, a mobile tent. It was the temple. But in Jesus' day, this is what would transpire. The, the week before, the high priest um, uh, would not leave the temple ground and would, would basically start running through and rehearsing this process that they would do on a yearly basis on the Day of Atonement. And they would practice this. And, and when the day finally came, the high priest wearing priestly robes, he would sacrifice a bull on the brass altar in the courtyard as a, a dedictory offering. Okay, so look at this. Verse 3 says this. When that was done, or not verse 3, I don't know why I said that. When that was done, he'd take off his high priest's robe. So he would, after he'd sacrificed that, he'd get, take off his high priest's robe, and he would put on uh, linen garments, or, uh, you know, we might call it long underwear. But really what it was was a tunic and a sash, okay? He would get down in, into uh, less clothes, less formal clothes, and he would, then he would sacrifice another bull as a sin offering for himself, okay? So the priest had to have everything right within themselves. So, so how many how many animals have been sacrificed so far? Two, two bulls. One, one, one for everyone's sins, and one for the priest's sin. Okay, so, so, uh, so he would have to ask for atonement. So, at this point, all right, there were two goats were chosen by a lot, and one would have a red scarlet wrapped or you know around them a cord that would, would signify that that was the sacrificial goat, okay? And one of the, the other goat would not have a sacrificial cord uh, around them, and the other goat was a scapegoat. How many know what a scapegoat is, right? Uh, man, the scapegoat would be released in the wilderness later. One would, take, one would be the sacrifice and one would be released. Now, now what's the significance of that? Why two goats? You know, uh, our, our sins are not only forgiven, but they're forgotten. That's the beauty of the Lord. He not only forgives our sins, but he forgets them. Matter of fact, uh, I love the scripture. Psalms 103.12 says our sins uh, are carried away as far as the east is from the west. How far is that? Forever. just goes on and on. You can go west as long as you want. You know, as long as you've got the resources, keep going west, right? And at this, so, we, so we talked about that. So the priest would then take the coals from the outside of the altar. Remember, he's out there. In, in, in the outer courts with, with two handfuls of incense into the holy place. And as he put them on the altar, what would happen of, uh, of incense, a cloud would begin to fill that, that bigger room, okay, the, the holy place. And, the, and so returning to the brass altar, he would carry out the blood that had drained from the, the bull that had been sacrificed in the holy place. And this time through... Uh, he would go into through the veil into the Holy of Holies. Then at that point, this is what he would do. He would take that blood and he would sprinkle seven times on the floor and sprinkle seven times on the mercy seat, the blood of that bull. And that was, that was the atonement and, uh, of, of their sins and, and on the ark, okay? So finally, after sacrificing the bull and going to the Holy of Holies and after sacrificing the goat and going into the Holy of Holies, he would come back out and place his hand upon the living goat, saying, watch this. He would say this, bear and be gone, okay? Or, in other words, bear the sin and take it away, right? They, then they would release this, this, this goat. So finally, he would lift his hands and say to the crowd, here's the beautiful part right here. He'd come out after all this. He'd lift his hands and he'd say, forgiven. And everybody there would begin to cheer, and they would hoop and holler, and they would scream, and they would be excited about what just happened. How I many know that's a that's a uh, uh, that's a lot, isn't it? Once a year, this is, this would happen. Once a year, this would happen, and 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 here's what people knew: they knew that if if the priest went into the holy of holies and they were waiting, and they were waiting, and they were waiting, and he didn't come out sins weren't forgiven, that the priest died, 
something was wrong. Are we okay? And, and uh, you know, did we do something wrong? Is God pleased? But when he would come out and say, hey, forgiven, everyone would get excited. Now, so, so here, take that imagery. I know that's a lot to, to, to take in, but take that imagery right there. Now let's look at our great high priest, Jesus. Are you ready for this? The world was watching without even knowing they were watching Jesus, right? They're, they're watching him. They, they watched him come. And, and, and our great high priest, this is what he did on, on, on his day of atonement and our day of atonement. He wrapped himself in white linen and he emerged out of the Holy of Holies on that resurrection morning. You say, well, wait a second, Pastor. You're, you're saying the tomb is the Holy of Holies? Well, let me, let me give you a little bit of imagery here. Let me show you something here, okay? So check this out. So when the, uh, when the disciples looked into the tomb, they saw uh, the, where he had laid sprinkled in his blood, right? So there's blood where he laid. All right, come on, somebody. And his blood was, was there. And at the end of the bench sat what? An angel. Right? And, and so this is, a, this is a beautiful picture. I, God is so precise and so good at what he does. Really? I mean, it's amazing. And when he came out of that tomb on that third day, guess what? It was a declaration for them and for us today. Hey, you are given it is done the sacrifice has been paid therefore because of of jesus resurrection we are confident that our sin whatever it is will be forgiven forgotten and no longer an issue and the resurrection is, is crucial because the perfect lamb come on right jesus is the perfect lamb the perfect high priest came together because of that, we are set free, amen, from the power of sin. How many can say amen to that? Uh, Philip, he, he said this to Jesus. He said, you know, after he had been raised in John chapter, I, I think it was John chapter 14, he said, show us the Father and, and we'll be sufficed. Matter of fact, Jesus hadn't been raised but he in John chapter 14, but, you know, and Jesus said, I'm going away. And Philip said, hey, show us the Father and we'll be sufficed. Why did he say that? He's speaking to Jesus because he understood something that in the Holy of Holies, the kabod, the, the weightiness of God was there. And he said he knew that if, we, if he could show them the Father, that they would see who Christ was and the power of who he is. So here's the question. This is the question that I have for you guys tonight. Where are you in your walk with the Lord? This was, this was challenging to me to even prepare for this because, I, I mean, this, this, man, sometimes Pastor like just get a brick upside the head, and this is what this was for me, honestly. Where are you at in your walk with the Lord? Are you in the courtyard? Nothing wrong with that, saying, hey, I'm saved. Sacrifice was made. I'm forgiven, right? I'm out here. I'm cheering. Praise God. But can I tell you something? That's great that you're there, but there's more. There's a deeper place that God wants to take you. And you got to move out of the courtyard, and you have to get into the holy place. Now, now, what's interesting about the holy place, you heard me talk about that, is that's where you start to serve. It's where you put the bread back in, and you check the lamps. That, that young, young Levite would check them in the morning and check them in the night and make sure that things were, were always there. How many know that things don't get done around this church unless somebody serves, right? These chairs don't straighten themselves, Right? Uh, the, the floors don't get vacuumed by themselves, right? I can tell you, your precious kids are not precious in some Sunday school room sometimes, all right? Uh, but, 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 you know, and so to serve, and, and think about serving is this. When, you, when you're trimming the lamps and you're serving, you're letting your light shine before others, saying, hey, I love the Lord. I'll do anything for him. And, and when you're changing the, the show of the bread, that is, that is you feeding the others, whether you're involved in offering of incense or, or, you know, that may be another way that you're praying for others. That's lifting up incense, praying for others and saying, you know, I, I just call out your name. I'm, I'm praying for you right now. But the outer courts is the place of salvation. The holy place is the place of service. But most of us have celebrated salvation in this room. I'm, I'm assuming that, but. You know, I believe that most of us have probably experienced that in our lives. And that's a good thing, amen? 
And I believe that most of us are probably engaged in service and serving the Lord and doing something. But did you know there's a deeper place? The Holy of Holies. Being in the presence of the Lord. Being in the presence of the Lord. You remember the story in Luke chapter 10. And you remember Martha and she said, she, she told Jesus, Lord, will you tell my sister Mary to get in here to the kitchen and help me cook and help me get all this ready? And, and, and what did Jesus said? He said, Martha, Martha, not Brady Bunch, not like that. No, that's Marsha, right? Martha, 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 you, you, you're, you're, not, you're not thinking right now. Mary's chose the right thing. She's chose the eternal thing. You've chose the, woo, come on, right? You remember a little bit later in Bethany, Judas said of Mary anointing Jesus' feet, we could have sold that and we could have fed the poor, right? And Jesus, I have to correct you here, Judas. You know, what she has done is important. Matter of fact, Jesus said, hey, she will be known throughout the world because of what she's doing right here, right now. And we're still talking about her today, right? And I, I want to say this. The best place we can be, honestly, more than anything, is in the Lord's presence, right in the middle of his presence. The Holy of Holies. Now, I want you to think about the process that people, that not everyone could go into the Holy of Holies. But look, what did Jesus do for us? He kicked the door open. And I could walk right in, and I could say, God, I just want to be in your presence. It's because of his grace and mercy. I, I want to look at this. I want to show you this. The, the best place that we could be is in the Lord's presence. So two people I want to look at in, in Scripture that spent time with the Lord in the Old Testament. Number one is Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. It says that, that he was there, and he saw the Lord. He sit, saw him sitting on his, on his throne, right, and the train of his robe filled the temples, what Isaiah chapter 6 says, right? It's beautiful bit of scripture and he and he, as he saw him he began to say you know woe is me woe is me because my lips are unclean he's like i i should not be here right now because you are holy and i am not and my lips are unclean lord i'm not worthy to be here lord i'm not what i thought i was and and you know always remember and, and be aware that, you know, when there's an awareness of sin in our lives, it ushers repentance. It should make us want to repent and be like, God, when I compare myself to you, I, I need to repent. God, I, I need to I need to do that. And that's what Isaiah said. Whoa, what was me? I'm undone. I, I should die right now. I, I shouldn't even be here right now. That's why I think sometimes, you know, in our lives, we're so busy with our hobbies and our recreational stuff. And I'll be even so bold to say this. Sometimes we're so busy doing ministry <laughs> that we're in the holy place that we miss going into the holy of holies. And you know why we, why, you know, some things, you know, sometimes in ministry we do things because it makes us feel clean. I feel good about this because I, the Lord's using me, right? But I found, and the closer I get to the Lord, the more I realize I am a filthy rag. I am nothing. I am undone. When I sit in his presence and I begin to become undone and, and I say, man, my righteousness is nothing. Lord, I, I don't even deserve to be here in your holy presence. So look at this. Go a little bit further here. Going back, when Moses descended down from Mount Sinai after receiving the Ten Commandments, you remember God passed him with his hinder parts. He wouldn't even, you know, he said, Lord, I want to see you. Lord, show me your glory. And God's like, I'll show you, but you cannot see my face because you'll die. But I will pass by, and you'll just see a glimpse of me. And what, what happened? Moses saw a glimpse of the Lord. And when he came down off the mountain, what happened? His face glowed. It's amazing. It's beautiful, right? Some of you ladies, you don't need makeup. You just need the, the Lord to shine on you and make your, make your face glow, right? The Lord can make your face glow. And, and, and this is amazing to me because, interesting enough, this is what, this is what I, I want to get out of these two stories. I want you to understand this is this, is that when you spend time in the presence of God, you may feel like you're undone. You may feel like you don't deserve it. You may feel like this. But what happens is you come out of God's presence and God does something in you. 
go around to other people and they're like, whew, there's a glow on you. There's something beautiful in you, right? How many, I mean, sometimes this happens to me. People have come up to me in the store and be like, whew, you are a believer, right? And I don't have to tell them that. You know how they know that? Because the Holy Spirit and God is just coming off. I love to be around people like that. I want to be around people like that. And here's the thing, as we are in his presence, we may become undone. We may say, woe is me. But what happens when we leave that beautiful holy of holies, the, the time of personal praise, the time of worship, the time of prayer, we come out and people begin to say, you've been, you've been with the Lord, haven't you? You've been with the Lord. Look at this. And not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. So um, this version of the Bible, which is the ESV, renders... The word unintentional is, is more correct. The King James Version uses the word error, um, but the Greek, or the Hebrew or the Greek meaning of that word is better rendered ignorance. And how many know that ignorance is not really, uh, it's just not knowing. We, we, it has a bad, you know, when you say, hey, you're ignorant, we, that just means you don't know or you don't understand something. So thus, here's what we need to understand. Something about the Old Covenant is this. The blood only covered sins done in ignorance or an unintentionality. That means if you did it intentionally, you're, you're in a mess, right? So the only sins forgiven in the old covenant were the ones that a person didn't realize they were doing. And it's no wonder they had so many rules. And, you know, they turned the Ten Commandments into 630 laws, to be exact, to follow to make sure that they walked <laughs> this thing out perfectly, right? I don't know about you, but I, I, I thought about this. It's easier to forgive someone who makes a mistake out of ignorance rather than someone who does something intentionally, right? If somebody intentionally hits you, hits your car, you're going to be upset. But if somebody accidentally hits you, you're still going to be upset, but you're going to probably get, be a little bit more graceful, right, through the whole process. But uh, um, a great example of this is David after he sinned with Bathsheba and, and, and he killed her husband. You know what? He did all that with intent. Bathsheba, bring her to me. Her husband, murder him. That was intent, ill intent. That was, he, he, no, he had full intent. Matter of fact, and if the law, if he was bad, it'd be first degree murder right there. He had full intent, like, I'm, I'm going to do this. But um, Psalms 51, 16 says this, and David understood this. He understood this. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it to you. Lord, I, I would, I'll give you animal sacrifice, but I, you won't delight in this. I know you won't. Because uh, you will not be pleased with a burnt offering. My intentions were way off. But this is beautiful because David knew there was no sacrifice or burnt offering that could, that, that could be given for a sin because his sin was intentional. I knew what I was doing is what he's saying. I willfully sinned. But look at this. The next verse that David says in Psalm 51, uh, I believe being inspired by the Holy Spirit, he gives a prophetic look at the cross and he goes, he goes on to say this. So, hey, for you will not delight in, in, in sacrifice, or uh, I would give it. You will not be uh, pleased with burnt offering. But the next verse says this. The sacrifice of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Oh, God, you will not despise those. So I think there's something beautiful there. A sacrifice won't work. Not for my sins, but Lord, you know I'm sorry, and Lord, you know I'm broken within. So someday, somehow, Lord, I believe, Lord, you're going to forgive me for these. I, I, I believe this is one of the reasons that David is a man after God's own heart. Look at this, verse 8. I'm almost done, I promise. By the Holy Spirit, by this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy place is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic to the present age. Look at this. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the uh, conscience of the worshiper. Verse 10. But deal only with food and drink and various washings and regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. So you've got to understand this is being written to the Hebrews. They would understand this in full context. They would know this. So the problem with the Old Testament, he's saying this. The Old Testament priesthood was that it provided limited access and limited effectiveness. It was limited access because uh, uh, only one man, a high priest, could either could enter into the presence of, of, of God, the Holy of Holies, on the Day of Atonement each year. It was limited by its effectiveness because the high priest was himself even a sinner because he had to even atone for his own sins. 
But look at this. This next section, I, I promise, I'm almost done. It says, if you need a subheading, is this. Redemption through the blood of, of, of Christ. How many are grateful for the redemption of the blood of Jesus Christ? I know this is deep stuff. I know this is, I promise you, the book of Hebrews is wrecking me right now. I, I promise you. But verse, verse 11 says this. But when Christ appeared as a high priest, I want to say this. Everyone say, but. That is a big word right there. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of, this is a big statement. When Christ appeared, woo, all those old things, he fulfilled. He made it happen. It all changed. It will change, and it can change. And the writer of Hebrews is saying this. If you will let Jesus do this thing, he will change you forever. Amen? Amen. Uh, I want to do this. How many are grateful for God's grace and mercy on your life? Amen. I want to pray for some.